We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this... We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps Market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. This is Dave Debo on the program today. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things. Stay with us. Many things to come. Among them, this weekend's Reawaken America tour. We're going to look at the observations yesterday on the third month since the shootings. Jay Moran will be by talking about food apartheid disparities in this weekend's Igniting Hope Conference. And we wrap up the program today with Bridget Jaipal Valenza and Akua Menz Adu. She is the Chief People and Diversity Officer at Evergreen Health. A lot of things to get to. Let's jump right into it. And I'd like to do that with WBFO reporter Tom Dinky. He was uh, this past weekend spending uh, much of the weekend, Friday specifically, at the Reawaken America Tour. And in light of some of the things that Tom has reported on about extremism in the past, We thought this would be the perfect opportunity to sort of do a recap of that and a look at this particular conference. Some people have called it, I guess, a far-right road show. Uh, Various groups pulling together in Batavia and talking about issues facing the country. And a lot of times, Tom, these groups—thanks for being here, by the way. Yeah, thanks for having me. A lot of times these groups um, overlap, is that fair to say, with some of the—do I call them racist? Groups that are out there? I suppose you could ter- use the term white supremacist, white nationalist, uh, extremist. Uh, yeah, for sure. A lot of the ideas at uh, the Reawaken America tour, whether it be COVID-19, vaccines, uh, the 2020 election, uh, I think it's fair to say white nationalists share a lot of those same, same beliefs. And they did at the right uh, beginning of the program start to talk a little bit about race issues. I noticed in the very opening of the program, they had shots of doc- Dr. Martin Luther King. They went uh, out of their way to say things like, we are not necessarily white supremacists. We are not necessarily racists. But in one of the early sections, they actually talked a little bit about State Attorney General Letitia James, and she had voiced a lot of concern that an event like this could, in fact, spur racially motivated violence. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Attorney General Letitia James uh, voiced concern the event could spur that violence. Um, she specifically connected back, connected it back to the Buffalo Top shooting um, in, in terms of the ideals of that, of the alleged shooter in the, in the Tops incident. Um, I, I would say uh, Mark Burns, who was the pro-Trump pastor, uh, he actually led a prayer for Letitia James uh, that uh was quite kind of controversial and and some would maybe argue had a vaguely uh, threatening tone. All right, let's hear that. Are you mean to tell me, New York, that you don't believe Joe Biden is the president of the United States of America? You mean to tell me that you don't want Donald J. Trump to come back later? You want him to come back right now, And that was an example of Burns talking about Trump. Let's listen to uh, the next little excerpt you have. Yeah. And in this one, he specifically talks a little bit about James yes. and Grace. The Father, if she does not repent and turn back to you, show the world what happens to those 
that comes against your servants. For the Bible declares that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The battle is not ours, but it's his. So we love you, Letitia James. Yeah, and uh, that was Burns basically calling on James to repent. And I suppose there's no other way to say it. I, I guess he's calling on her to repent for voicing concern that reawaken America could spur racially motivated violence. Was it threatening to her, do you think? I, I think it could be. I actually spoke with a, another faith leader at a nearby event in Batavia. There was a group of faith leaders calling out Reawaken America. I spoke with the Reverend Nathan Emsel. Um, I played a clip of that to him, and I think we actually have his reaction to me playing him, Burns' prayer. So we love you, Letitia James. We pray and we cover you now. That wasn't a prayer. That was a political speech tinged with violence. That Pastor Burns and the Reawaken America tour would say you have to repent for opposing violence proves that this is not Christian. It's certainly not patriotic. It's unholy. And a final analysis, Tom, um, was this a group that people should be worried about? Um, I suppose in context of specifically the calls for the 2020 election to be overturned. Um, Emsel, again, voiced concerns that, yeah, maybe Reawaken America doesn't lead to violence at the Reawaken America event. Maybe violence doesn't even come in the days to follow because of the rhetoric. But what happens in 2024 if, whether it's Donald Trump or whoever the Republican nominee is, doesn't win the election? Does rhetoric like this saying essentially that it's God's will that Donald Trump be president, that uh, Democrats are not in office. Does that kind of rhetoric basically lead to another January 6th? All right. And so much more of your reporting is online at WBFO.org. Tom Dinky, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Before we move on to further discussion, there is one other segment we need to uh, take care of this morning, especially if we look at the calendar. Yesterday was three months since the shooting, and a group of survivors took that occasion to again talk about the distribution of funds and aid and support to both the TOPS employees and some of the people in the community that were not necessarily physically injured, but nonetheless people that still need help. One of them is Robbie Aguirre. She was in the store. She had an encounter with the shooter. She saw the gunplay between him and security guard Aaron Salter. And she told her story for the first time yesterday. We're going to uh, close this segment with an extended piece of her discussion yesterday at the news conference. I do have to warn folks that if you are um, just still suffering some of the emotional trauma from the shooting, that this is the kind of audio that may trigger things for you. We are playing it about four minutes long, give you a chance to maybe walk away, get a cup of coffee, and come back for the rest of the program if, if indeed you're someone who... who can't necessarily hear this. But let's listen now to Robbie Aguirre. Again, I hear the gunshots. And we're running. You see everybody running. We ran. I pointed to my daughter and I said, run towards the back because that's where I've seen everyone. My daughter ran. Somebody tumbled over me and I fell. My 14-year-old realized that mama let her hand go. She came back for me. I said, run said no. So all I could see was clothes that they had there. I don't know what they were doing. It was like some little top shirts or whatever. I snatched them. I threw them on top of my daughter. I brought my daughter so close to my chest like she was, I was forcing her to be back into my belly. I sucked in my stomach so my daughter can breathe. I had clothes on top of me. The smartest thing I could think of was to look through those clothes and see what I can see. And that young man walked through that store like it was a, like it was unreal, because the police officer he was shooting that young man, and those bullets was flying off of him like he was an incredible hawk. It was unbelievable. He fought and fought and fought. That young man sat there and smirked and smiled at him. And he continued to shoot. My leg fell out from me being balled up in the fetus position and. The police officer seen my foot, and he gave everything that he was given because he seen me and my daughter. My daughter's arm fell out, and he tried everything to stop that young man. Next thing I know, I seen the police officer get shot. 
and he fell to the ground in slow motion. It was like gravity was just holding him from not falling. It was pulling him down so slow. And the young man stood over him with a grin. And then he seen my leg out. He walked up to me and shoved the gun in my head. And said I should die. And then he told me I should die. And I begged for my life. Because I had my daughter up under me. I'm begging a child. He's younger than my boys. God must have heard my prayers. Because that young man, he said, oh well, I guess I won't. And whoever he shot in those aisles, he shot him. And then he walked. And he walked. And that something told me, move. It was some objects right there with freezies on top of them. And I decided to squeeze myself through there just to make room for my daughter to be in. I laid on top of my daughter. My daughter was kicking me, saying, Mom, stop, stop. What are you doing? A mother should never have to tell her child this. I'm going to take the heat from the gun. And once it go through me, it will barely touch you. Just know that I was here for you. And she's kicking me, telling me, Mom, no. I'll die with you. What parent has to tell that to her, her child? And I'm going to jokingly say it. I call it my Harry Potter scar. I have a scar in my head from the heat of the gun. And every day that I comb my hair, I see it. I feel it. I have pain in it. But guess what? I'm just a survivor. I don't matter. It's not even a money issue for me. Because I'm well taken care of. Best believe that. It's the principle. I take nothing away from the victims. I do not. And their families, my heart goes out to them. We go through this every day. I've seen a psychiatrist. My daughter sees a psychiatrist. I've been diagnosed with all types of crap. I didn't ask for this. I can't leave out my home. I can't get in the car without freaking out. I was a person that was always around. You could talk to me whenever I'm shut in. Every day, I cry. Every day, I'm emotional. Every, I don't even know if I'm here or there. All I'm saying is acknowledge us. That's all we want. On the three-month anniversary of the top shootings yesterday, Robbie Aguirre had a news conference asking for more community-wide benefits and telling her story of what she witnessed on that day. This is Buffalo What's Next. We'll be right back. Watch Remembering Crystal Beach Park. Crystal Beach was such an important part of the lives of anyone growing up in the western New York or southern Ontario area. Relive those childhood memories with the WNED PBS original production, Remembering Crystal Beach Park. Now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. Get all the trusted local news you need right to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit WBFO.org to sign up today. Hey, we used to love this song. We still do, but we used to too. WBFO The Bridge, college radio for adults. Check us out on the TuneIn app or on your smart speakers and, of course, WBFO.org slash The Bridge. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome to Buffalo What's Next. Uh, with us this morning, we have Stan Martin from uh, the Buffalo office, the Buffalo office director, as a matter of fact, of CAI Global. We'll get more into that uh, topic or that uh, title in just a second. And Ebony White from the Buffalo Center for Health Equity and also with the Health Disparities Task Force. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. And thank you for joining us. Uh, as Stan uh, CAI was a sponsor of the Igniting Hope Conference uh, at the UB Med School. There was a lot of different elements involved in it. But the idea is, what, to connect the community into 
yeah. better health and wellness. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, CAI, you know, we're a proud sponsor of the Igniting Hope Conference. You know, we actually partner with the Buffalo Center of Health Equity as well as the African American Health Equity Task Force, you know, to really bring um, an initiative called REACH, Racial and Ethnic Approaches Towards Community Health, you know, to the city, uh, city of Buffalo, really addressing chronic disease and improving the health and wellness, you know, of our community. So it was a great opportunity to really further um, build awareness and education uh, um, here in in terms of addressing some of the gaps that we saw um, in terms of health care and in terms of, uh, you know, communicational clinical linkages um, to, you know, get the word out. And, Ebony, and of course, your group has been focusing on these health inequities that we see in, in the community. Can you just outline some of the things? That, these are conversations we've had previously, but I, I think they're conversations that need to keep happening what are some of the, 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 the top issues when we talk about health inequities in our community? So for us, uh, our focus has been around housing, uh, food and nutrition uh, options. Also, um, COVID, you know, once it, that, that has been on our main uh, focus for many years now. And also the healthcare delivery system. So we, we, we look at a lot of those things and overall the social determinants of health. Um, everything that impacts you from where you work, where you play, uh, if you don't have the option, the, the options to work or where you get your education. So we're looking at everything holistically, everything that impacts someone of having what we would call a high quality, right? High quality life and access. And there's some real stark numbers available when it comes to if you live in some zip codes in the city of Buffalo, mm-hmm. just can you go through a, just when it comes to mortality, the difference that we see? The differences are those who live in particular zip codes. So if I was to say 14215, 14208, 14211, 14212, just to name a few, you're likely to develop some of these chronic diseases and other comorbidities uh, and live less than your counterparts that live in different zip codes by like 10 plus years. That's stark that you can see in data and look at the trends of that something is saying because I live in a particular place, I have lack of access to particular things that are important to a quality of life that I possibly, my life will end uh, much sooner than someone that lives in a different zip code. And Stan, you were originally from Buffalo. You've come back to uh, open this office for CAI. You've been here for a couple of years now. So talk about what you've learned since you've come back. Uh, Yes, great, great question. One of the things that I learned since I came back, and I actually knew before I left, (laughs) you know, (laughs) hasn't changed that much, hasn't changed that much. But uh, in all seriousness, like Buffalo is strong, you know, oftentimes, you know, we don't hear uh, about the great things that are happening, you know, in our city. And in, in terms of uh, uh, healthcare, and in terms of healthcare services, you know, we oftentimes, you know, have have focused on, you know, um, you know, a narrative that blames and shames the community, you know. And one of the things that we're very, very um, vested in is changing that narrative and amplifying the youth voices, and as we like to say, you know, promoting what's strong and not what's wrong. So building on the assets, building on uh, relationships. You know, with the faith community, building relationships, you know, with, um, with community residents who have that lived experience, who in some cases may have been left um, out of the conversation or didn't have a seat at the table or even a voice at the table. So what CAI and REACH does, REACH is a project of CAI, what we do is really amplify those voices so that the people are a part of the solution and not seen as a part of the problem. That's interesting. I, that, that term that you use, blame and shame. People really feel that's that's a that's a view inside these these communities that they're being blamed for the problems that they have they have to endure. Correct. That's, right. I mean, can you expand on what what, what they're seeing, what they're so hearing the, about the, that? So the simplest way is someone said if they wanted more, they would do this or do that. So that's creating some level of shame for our community members. But when if you don't have that as an option for you. So part of trauma, right, being trauma is eliminating choice. Many times our community lacks choice in options. 
and say uh, in these spaces. So that's where it becomes this blame and this shame and that I have to live and be in the condition that I'm in always. And that's why it's so important and critical uh, what uh, CAI is doing, the Buffalo Center for Health Equity and others in this space to give choice, to say that you are not the blame. This is infrastructure uh, that was created systematically uh, that impacts you and you're not the cause, but you definitely will be a part of the solution to it and that you play a major part in versus uh, someone else doing it for you, but that we have what we need uh, to do it for ourselves. CAI Global, um, that's, the name, I guess it says it all, because you're not just here in Buffalo. Correct. You're in other communities as well. Um, from what you've seen in those other communities, does it give you hope and maybe even a sentence of certainty that solutions can be found here? Oh, well, um, absolutely. Actually, one of the things that, you know, we are actually, um, our framework is uh, surrounding uh, community-based participatory uh, approaches. And as a result of the success uh, and, 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 and the um, input and the outpour of, you know, resident community involvement, that is being replicated in other cities. You know, so I, I would like to say selfishly that it started right. here in Buffalo. <laughs> and, you know, along with the chicken wings, <laughs> that uh, is now being, it's, in all seriousness, is being sure. replicated and it's transportable in other marginalized communities that have similar, if not greater, needs as well. And you're seeing it play out statistically. I mean, I mean, I, obviously, mortality rates. That's something. Takes a certain amount of time to really understand, but we're seeing it in other elements. Yeah, well, we we definitely utilize the science and the data, you know, to help drive our um, decision making and our programming. So we are seeing, you know, advances. We are seeing, you know, um, it make a significance. And actually, there was an article that was in the New York Times the other day that talked about how the increase in vaccination amongst African Americans and those who identify with the Black diaspora, you know, was a direct result of some of the outreach that Ebony does and education from grassroots movements, you know, so um, when you look at when, you know, COVID, you know, because um, initially that vaccination, right, was very over low two right? years ago, right, yeah. and now you've seen a spike, you've seen an increase in those areas in terms of uptick, and it's a lot of it is attributed to like a lot of the work that Ebony has done here in Buffalo and other initiatives across the city, similar with, um, under the REACH umbrella. The concrete, that's got to be a real boost, I would think. To, to see that type of concrete result. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we are not where we were two years ago, right? Um, even with um, the, the, the influx of COVID infections, we definitely have a reduction of hospitalization and death. Uh, where we were two years ago, you, you just did not know uh, people were dying um, just families, and that's why it was critical for me and people who do uh, grassroots boots on the ground uh, all the time to speak their language, give them the information, never eliminate taking away choice from them, um, always uh, having this open, normalizing conversation, making sure they're getting the facts, debunking a lot of the myths, and being available, and they know where to find you for future. You know, one of the biggest things is I, I remember we were going out and doing tabling, and we were masked up, and we were trying to share, you know, the message, hey, you know, here's a pop-up clinic, and this is where you can go, and we're coordinating these things, and everyone is just, like, running from you. And then you would see four or five months later, can you help me? I'm ready to go get my vaccine. I'm going. Really? My family is going. Because our our pitch was do it for yourself, first of all. Do it for your family. And how, when you're doing it for your family, you're taking care of your community. And that that was our constant. We never changed that because that's what it was about. Uh, and making sure people got the information that they needed when you gave them the info. So, you know, you're passing out palm cards and QR codes and they're they're reading it. Not don't take my word. Here right. you go. Right here, here it is. Uh, evaluated, and then you allow them. Then we did the three A's, uh, which reviewed. You know, to ask, um, advise, and then assist them. So when they were ready, that was the simplest way during those Thanksgiving conversations when people had to make hard choices about can my family come over. Right. Um, I can only have this many. Have you had your COVID test? Have you had your vaccine? Those were hard times. That was difficult to do for. Anybody, that was difficult to say, 
I'm accustomed to 30 people Christmas. It's just four of us. Mm-hmm. We're on Zoom. You know? <laughs> Zoom Christmas. We're on oh Zoom Christmas and Thanksgiving <laughs> and New Year's because we can't be together. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, uh, Ebony, during that time, um, it was during the epic, you know, during, during the height of the pandemic, you know, being able to work with the Buffalo Center of Health Equity, to be able to work with the University of Buffalo and many faith leaders to identify you know, who are those that were directly and mostly impacted by it, and then to create a plan, you know, to make sure that, you know, people had access, you know, to not just vaccination, but also transportation for food, you know, for, for health care, you know, even just to work. Because, you know, many of those who were on the front line were, you know, those are people of color. Right. So, you know, how do we, you know, really address the basic needs of, of, of everyone in the community in a comprehensive manner? And I think that's one of the beauty of um, having these partnerships, being able to be a trusted messenger that the community identifies, you know, is so, so, so important. You know, it's interesting. Midway through our conversation, thing we were talking about the problems and things were the reality is there it's a it's not a great picture but just this portion of the conversation right here gives me the thought that if these efforts that we're seeing and like you said the spotlight that's been you know placed upon certain realities in the last couple of months that if things can stay consistent if that outreach can be there and that trust can be built we've got i mean there's some hope here Definitely. And that's why the conference is so important and has been important, you know, because that is just not a space for academia to get together and talk about ideas and plans. But it's also a space for the community to be in that same space with academia and say, hey, you got that wrong. Let's try this. Um, and, and that's where it, it, it's just a huge community. and You just see everyone in all of the gifts and the talents and the strength that they have come into one space and come up with some phenomenal plans of how to move forward uh, with hope. You know, hope is what keeps us all going. Hope for better, hope for everything. So it has definitely always been a, a great opportunity. Um, and then maybe just a, a final word here is before we uh, close our segment of just you know about that moving forward, Stan Martin. Sure, absolutely. Uh, we're looking to continue to amplify the community's voice. You know, we can uh, continuously you know are trying to um, do our. Uh, um, continuous quality improvement as we say to say, how are we doing you know did we get this right as Ebony mentioned earlier what can we do differently what do we de- need to do more of and what's not working let's not do that <laughs> you know <laughs> right right. Yeah, you, gotta, yeah, right you know so but it's, it's coming from the community's perspective and then providing access and amplifying their voices so that once again you know they're a part of the solution not seeing that as a part of the problem and for those who want to find out more information about REACH they can go fi- follow us on Facebook at uh, REACH um, reach Buffalo, and there's more information there, or they can visit our website at www.caiglobal.org. And I've been here. Final word. Final thought. Community, we have the answers, right? We have the answers. Get involved. Your block clubs, your task force advocates, champions. Uh, be a part of Chickatelli and Associates. You can go right to their page that stands shared to get valuable information and insight. Uh, BuffaloHealthEquity.org. Join us there. Uh, we look forward to continuing having town halls. Come and be a part of it. Uh, anyway, your voice matters. Um, and when you see us out and we have surveys and we're asking questions, we're not just prying. This is what we take into those boardrooms. This gives us proof of what we need to do, what we need to change, and how we're moving in the right direction or what we need to totally eliminate and do differently. Help us continue to uh, elevate your voices and put you as the spotlight for all of the good that you do. City of good neighbors. <laughs> well, let's see if uh, the city can live up to that uh, reputation, shall we? Uh, Ebony White is with the Buffalo Center uh, for Health Equity and also the Health Disparities Task Force. Stan Martin, uh, the director of the Buffalo Office of CAI Global, one of the sponsors of the Igniting Hope Conference. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Back on uh, Buffalo, what's next? Alex Wright, head of the uh, African Heritage Food Co-op here in Buffalo. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm always excited to be here. You know, we've we've talked a lot about the co-op before. We can get into some of the updates on, because I know you guys have been part of the news cycle lately. But we want to know more about how you guys are involved with REACH. We talked about that with Stan Martin, but why don't you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, well, uh, I came on with REACH maybe a year ago. Um, at this point, um, doing my food work with the co-op, we 
met with the REACH folks, and we've been helping them sort of train food pantries to, you know, on, 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 on distribution methods, uh, signage on what's healthy, what's not healthy. They have this great uh, red light, yellow light, green light signage, okay. which lets people know as they're grabbing food um, what they should be getting more of and what they should be getting less of. We've been preaching your choice food pantries as a way for dignity. And what your choice food pantries are, it gives people an opportunity to go into the pantry and pick the thing that they're actually going to eat. Right. What happens sometimes is folks, you know, myopically think, oh, well, we're going to get they're hungry. So we're going to give them anything. Right. This right? canned good of that or yeah. whatever. And that's too short sighted because what happens with that is. Um, you have a lot of excess or like these beets are sitting over here, you know. It's so, interesting you mentioned beets, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to have one, you know, better education on how you can cook these things, what you can do with these things. That's one. But then two, why not focus your ordering around um, what people are getting, right? So, you know, a lot of these pantries, they purchase from the food bank or from other places, and we just have to be, and we train them and talk to them about being more conscientious about what they're ordering and even creating things like t- share tables, right? So maybe they received a bag and they have these, uh, you know, I don't know, um, spaghetti squash is sure. in there. And they don't necessarily know what to do with the spaghetti squash, right? Right. But their their neighbor might love spaghetti squash, right? So they can put that on the trade table and then they can grab that and... And, and, and move forward. Are you seeing solid results from this effort? Well, we are I mean, seeing... I mean, it's new. I mean, yeah, it's very right. new. So I don't think it's uh, been long enough for us to see as many results as we would like, but we are seeing some results, but we're also getting pushback on the your choice uh, because really? it's so much easier and convenient to pre- pre-make bags, right? And then, hey, come and get your bag. But uh, again, the... Then you come outside and you look on the side of your church or the side of something and you see all the things that people didn't want right there, you mm. know, or maybe a block away. So it ends up uh, being food waste, right? Which we can't afford to have. Which we can't afford to have. And we have to understand that even people are in poverty. They're still people, you know, they're not like dogs where you can just give them whatever you want to give them and they're going to just lap it up. Like people, they still have taste. They still have tongues. They still have taste right. buds. Right? Right. right. So, um, it, it, it doesn't mean, you know, Hey, we should be providing filet mignon, but it does mean that, you know, let's give people things that they're actually going to eat. Right. What about, you know, a lot of what you do with the, the co-op, Fresh food. And, right. and and I know for myself, 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have touched most of the things that you bring from your your food co-op in terms of fresh produce. That's right. changed for a variety of reasons. But in that case, again, what how do you work that through? Because if, if, if I'm a typical individual, there are other people who say, oh, you know, whatever, wax right. beans. Right. I, no thanks, right? right? Uh, right. How do you work through that? Well, one of the things we've been doing with Reach too are, are these cooking classes okay. that we've done. We've done at the Delavan Grider Community Center, and then we've publicized them uh, through social media. And um, one one we did was a summer salad, and we did that based on things that you may have left over, like a cucumber, a tomato, some lettuce, and like how do you put that and how do you make something filling, right? We made a uh, kind of reversed stuffed pepper using ground beef, using peppers, using this kind of stuff. Quick, easy, nutritious, and healthy. We even did a banana split using um, Nutella instead of chocolate syrup, um, using um, low-fat yogurt, and then you put the bananas, you could throw a little strawberry, blueberry, so now you have fresh fruits, you have uh, low low sugar intake stuff, right? And you have um, chocolate, right, but healthier. So you get you can you can do a lot of things that you like to do with a little thought, a little planning, and not you know break your caloric budget as it were. 
Right. I actually just made that sound really, really good. <laughs> it's I've, good. I've, I've sworn off ice cream, but boy, it <laughs> sounds good. Um, all right, so that, that's with Reach, but I just wanted to get a little bit of an update on on the on the African yeah. Heritage Food Co-op. Uh, I know the governor was here. There was a lot of news about uh, yeah. funding and things along those lines, and I didn't get all the particulars. Yeah. Uh, but w- w- tell us what, what's happening. Yeah. So the well, we had two really big pieces of news. One with with the USDA HFFI grant, which is health, food, and two other things. Um, okay. <laughs> um, and they. They've granted us $200,000 that we can use for both our Niagara facility and for Carlton. And right on the heels of that, the governor announced that um, they are going to support the Carlton project full boat uh, for $3 million. Wow. So, of course... That's coming, you know, it's, you know, but you know, the wheels of government money, oh, yeah. you know, it's funny, you know, when you owe, owe taxes, <laughs> the, that's going to be pretty fast. Right. But, you know, <laughs> but, but we're very, very thankful, you know, and that's just a joke. We're very thankful uh, Governor Hoko and her team for doing some hard work and really coming down and getting to know the people um, and supporting a frontline led uh, company. So, on top of that, we did. We're doing monthly accountability and transparency meetings, which anyone from the community could come in okay. and see who are who we're going to choose as developer, who the contractors are going to be, who how we came to those conclusions, who our architects are. Like this is fully open for anyone who is interested to want to see what's happening, how the money is going to be spent. Because what we're trying to do is real holistic development. We're looking for contractors who look like the neighborhoods we're in. Um, From day one, we want to be putting money in the pockets of the people in, of, and from the community. Our next uh, transparency meeting is going to be August 27th. Okay. Um, at the Johnny B. Wiley Center, um, you enter on the Dodge Street side. Okay, there is an indoor part of Johnny B. Wiley. Some folks don't know that. <laughs> okay, around the corner of Jefferson and Dodge, come in. Oh, it's going to be at 11 a.m. All right. So again, that's August 27th, okay. 11 a.m. at Johnny B. Wiley, and uh, you can come in and ask any question you want to ask. Um, now we're only going to be there to one. So you can ask any question you want to ask until up until one, one o'clock. Gotcha. Um, but we do a presentation. We have a nice, uh, 360 visual of the building. Um, talk to you about the, you know, we're going to be putting a cafe upstairs as well as a gathering space and a training space. We're bringing back the old school runners. So we're going to be hiring young people because the whole thing is we want to um, make it walkable. So right. if you're an elder and you're 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 coming down to the grocery store, right? You still have to get your bags back to your house. Right. So we're going to be hiring young folks um, who will bag up your stuff. Now ATVs and UTVs are illegal in Buffalo, but we're going to re, uh, get some golf carts put some big wheels on them, kind of trick them out a little bit. Um, And the young people will bag up your stuff if you live within a 10-block radius. You jump on that golf cart, and you guys go on back, and they'll even help you get into your home. So that employs young people. It shows them about um, hard work, shows them about entrepreneurship, and um, it, it provides a service to our elders, right? And it just brings back that community feel um, holistically. So those are some of the new updates. That's uh, amazing. Amazing. Anybody uh, wants more information? I mean, they can go to Johnny B. Wiley on the 27th, but uh, is there a way they can find out more about the African Heritage Food Co-op? They can. They can go to myahfc.com, which is our website. That's M-Y-A as in Apple, H as in Harry, F as in Frank, C as in Child Care. dot com and um, you also can find us on Facebook African Heritage Food Co-op All right, Alex Wright as always thanks for joining us thank you for your time Alex Wright with the African Heritage Food Co-op here in Buffalo earlier in the segment we talked with uh, Stan Martin 
He is the director of the Buffalo office for CAI Global and Ebony White for the Buffalo Center for Health Equity. This is Buffalo What's Next. Support for the WBFO Mental Health Initiative is provided by the Patrick P. Lee Foundation, a private family foundation focused on two key investment areas, mental health and education. The Lee Foundation is committed to supporting a community that is well-informed about mental health, inclusive of individuals with mental illness, and served by high-quality, accessible mental health services. Learn more at lee.foundation. One unforgettable night of music is coming tonight, only on WNED-PBS. At 7.30, watch Stephen Page perform an intimate trio show, including some of his biggest Bare Naked Ladies hits. Then at 9.30, it's Coldplay Live at Sao Paulo at the climax of their record-breaking tour. It's a great double bill of music, and it all starts tonight at 7.30 on WNED-PBS. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Hello, I'm host Bridget Jaipal Valenza. Today we are here with Akua Men's Adu from Evergreen Health, uh, where she is Chief People and Diversity Officer. Hello, Akua. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, it's been a time. It's been a time. Yeah, yeah. How are you? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think we're we're in a position in place where we're trying to think about a lot of different things right now. I think um, I'm I'm personally in a place where I'm looking to help and and give back because there's been a lot that's been going on. Um, but taking it a day at a time, really. That's I can say that's really how I am. So right now we are three months out from the five fourteen massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, you do a lot of work in inclusion, diversity, equity. Yeah, yeah. Before May 14th and to now, mm-hmm. what changes have you noticed? Yeah, I can say, um, you know, 2020 was really a, a time that we had a lot of conversations around the DEI space. Um, we had George Floyd's murder mm-hmm. that really sparked a lot of conversations and organizations um, looking to move beyond some of the traditional learning and education that they were doing to now looking at ways to operationalize DEI within their organizations. Um, I think for us here in Buffalo, it's been a litmus test since 514. There's a lot of things that we have learned and are continuing to learn. Um, But it really just gave us an opportunity to kind of level set and see where we needed to be going as a community um, and as a business community altogether as well. So what does DEI mean to you Mm -hmm. exactly? Well, I would say as a practitioner in this space, um, it's really getting to the point where you're creating environments that are very inclusive, right? Um, And by inclusive, I mean, no matter how you're coming into an organization, um, you're going to feel a sense of belonging. You're going to feel a sense that you can come as your full self um, and just really thrive in, in that organizational culture. So for me as a practitioner, it's creating spaces that no matter how you're showing up, you're going to succeed and thrive. Um, when we talk about diversity, I always say it's a fact, right? You can name different aspects of diversity, but um, inclusion is a choice. Mm-hmm. And organizations can decide whether they're going to have inclusive cultures or exclusive cultures, um, but people are paying attention. These are conversations that even during interview processes, they're asking us these questions um, as people that are job seekers, right? Right. And so just creating environments that no matter what, you're, you're going to succeed. So there are people out there who you know, work in places and spaces Mm -hmm. that don't have DEI Mm -hmm. officers. Mm -hmm. They don't have dedicated personnel Mm -hmm. to DEI. Um, What can they do to foster diversity, equity, inclusion? Um, 
in in their organization? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of organizations that don't necessarily have dedicated resources um, <clears throat> to DEI, but everybody can start somewhere, right? And mm-hmm. I think a really great place to start is auditing what your current practices are, right? Um, looking at it through a lens of equity to make sure that whatever policies and procedures you have in place are not negatively impacting people um, in an unintended way, right? Like there's a lot of things that folks think, oh, this is great that we have these different resources. Um, There was an organization I was working with recently who would give everyone like a gym membership pass as a part of their health uh, components, which which seems like an awesome perk, right? Like working at this business. But then when you looked at where those gyms were located, they weren't in places that everyone could access easily, right? They were located in specific communities that not everyone, you know, had access had access to, right? So I think even from that lens, surveying um, your your folks and seeing what type of organizational climate you have is really important. Um, looking at your engagement scores. You know, a lot of folks do their engagement surveys with their employees, but what does that look like? If mm-hmm. you disaggregated the demographics, how do women feel? You know, um, how do right. people of color feel? How do people who maybe have different abilities feel in your organization? And that will give you a starting point for maybe where to look at. So you are, you know, just... One person. Yeah. I'm one person in an organization. Um, I may not be a black person or a brown person, Mm -hmm. and I'm sitting at the boardroom table. Mm -hmm. I look around, and I don't see any black or brown Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. there. How do I, as that employee, say to, to my upper management... Um, say to the hiring people or the CEO or whoever it might be who's in charge to say, listen, why aren't there? Yeah. I mean, first off, it it would certainly take a lot of courage to do that. Sure. But but people worry about their jobs. Sure. You know, being labeled a certain way or not being labeled a certain way. um, You know, and and the, the politics of that. So how how do you navigate that? How would you navigate that? Yeah, I think. You know, it it does take a lot of courage, right, to ask questions um, that normally aren't asked. But, you know, as we're shifting into this day and age, these are questions that we can't afford to not ask. Right. Right. Um, And so I think exploration is a big part of that. Going to your leadership and asking, hey, what is our our plan around diversity, equity, inclusion? Is this something that our organization takes seriously? Um, and, and getting those answers directly from those folks, maybe there are things that that organization's already working on, um, or maybe they don't know where to start. But I would say just those exploration questions in general will get people starting to, to talk about it and think about it. Um, a lot of folks have also started things like employee resource groups that... Um, you know, there, there are organizations that have these resource groups that talk about different identities and things that, you know, mm-hmm. folks are having conversations about, whether that be, you know, from a gender perspective, from ethnicity and race perspective, um, but creating kind of these subgroups that can start to have some of those conversations and start to push the needle forward as well. So maybe that's a way that that organization can start and that employee can start to shift those conversations internally. This is Buffalo Net. What's next? We're here with Chief People and Diversity Officer for Evergreen Health, Akua Men's Adu. Uh, there are often conversations about representation mm-hmm. and what representation means to people of color, mm-hmm. to non-white people, simply and solely. Um, how important is that? How important Mm -hmm. is representation? I think representation is very important, right? Um, We we talk about some of these organizations that are doing this type of work um, or doing any type of work, right, from an industry perspective. But if you're in spaces, right, so I'm coming from a healthcare background, Mm -hmm. um, and so we serve people uh, in in a healthcare need, right? And so if you're looking at that person and you don't have any frame of reference for what life they might live outside of your walls, you know, like the doctor's office or primary care, you're missing a really big component of how that person is coming in and how you might serve that person. And so a lot of organizations, I know, you know, we've talked about nonprofits that are doing work that are, you know, helping 
areas on Jefferson Avenue, if you don't have that frame of reference for how that person, their lived experience, you're doing a great disservice to those folks, right? And so I think from a representation standpoint in the DEI world, we talk often about best practices and mirroring the representation of your employees to where you, um, you know, you serve in that community. And that's a best practice. And it's because you're getting those different perspectives of folks that are coming from that lived experience. And so without it, how are you informing the work that you're doing? You know, is that coming from your own internal interests or is it coming from the community that exists um, and existed there probably before you got there in that community, right? Right. So it's really important to take that frame of reference uh, from a direct lived experience for sure. So, you know, one of the, the questions that I, I had really mm-hmm. was um, some people can say that imagination versus representation mm. is what's needed in order to see yourself mm-hmm. or to um, to have empathy for another person. That takes more imagination than it does representation. Mm-hmm. How, how would you respond to that? I would, well, empathy is something that I feel like innately we should have, right? We mm-hmm. should innately be concerned about other people, even if they don't look like you. So I would say that empathy is definitely something in this country we've been talking a lot about, right? How do you encourage people to have more empathy for people that might not look like them? Um, But in terms of the representation component, it is oftentimes where people do have to imagine what that might look like because someone hasn't done it before. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of firsts that we're still celebrating. Um, and sometimes people ask, well, why is this such a big deal that we're celebrating, right. you know, this the, first? The first African-American woman on the Supreme Court. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but representation in that sense really matters because, you know, a young black woman looking at, um, you know, Justice Katandri, that's amazing, right? To see that someone has done it before and that you have a path of doing the same thing. Um, And so it's representation. It's it's some imagination and just seeing that, hey, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Someone else has done it before. And even if someone hasn't done it before, saying this is the I have the will to be the first um, is really important for for folks. And part of that too is is exposure mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. education and really having that a, a drive that innate drive, right? Um, but that really does come out of your education. Yeah, it does come out of the spaces where you're from. Right. Right. Um, and it really truly is difficult to have imagination if you're concerned that you don't have lunch today. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We always talk about what is it? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And from a healthcare perspective, too, we think about it from the social determinants of health perspective. Right. So we know that accessing healthcare or accessing a doctor is only about 20% of someone's total care. Mm -hmm. Things like transportation, education, economics, um, safety, and security within your own communities. Those are all important facets, access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, And so it's only one component of a larger social and economic need that we need to be talking about for sure. Yeah. Um, Let's go back to what corporations can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to me about corporate culture. Yeah. And the importance of that, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, right now, millennials, the millennial uh, millennial generation is one of the largest in the workplace right now. There's about four to five different generations at any given point in time. But a lot of the conversations that we're having as it relates to culture is is the need for that to be the focus. Um, Oftentimes people are like, oh, millennials and, and Generation Z, which is now entering the workplace as well want the flexibility. They want the ability to work from anywhere, especially after the pandemic. Certainly. But what we've seen after looking at different surveying is the fact that culture is still number one for a lot of people. They want to belong to an organization that cares about them. The behaviors reflect the mission and values um, that 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 organization stands on. And they want to make sure that they can thrive within that organization and, and bring more of their full selves to work. So culture is still number one in terms of what folks are looking at as it relates to making the decision of where they want to, you know, work. 
And certainly, I think that, you know, people have choice. I mean, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. great resignation yeah. uh, has people changing jobs for maybe as, you know, not necessarily for more money. Right, right. But for a better work culture, a better environment where they can thrive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking earlier a little bit about... Um, racism Mm -hmm. and the difference between a a company having Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm anti-racists or just someone who's not a racist and and there's a a difference there is there is a difference and i think you know in talking about it one is more passive um but one is just more proactive right and so to be anti-racist you have to be proactively combating some of those norms and status quo that existed um, prior to you having a focus on this, right? Right. And so to be proactive, that means that you're often anticipating some of the needs of of the people that you're serving, of your own employees as well. What are the differences in terms of how people are showing up, right? I mm-hmm. think um, even from a gender perspective, these are conversations that we're having is, you know, the curb cut effect is something that we often talk about as DEI practitioners, and it came out of the, um, you know, the ADA compliance realm where people talked about the curb cuts within sidewalks. Um, and although people that were differently abled, it, it helped and benefited them, it benefited a lot of other folks as well. If you're pushing a stroller, that curb cut is, is helpful for it you. It's very right? helpful, yes. Um, I love to travel. My suitcase, pulling my suitcase, I can use that. People that are maybe, um, you know, taking things off a truck and rolling it into a store or whatever you have, um, it's useful for them too. So when you always solve for the people who, you know, have, have the most issues, Mm -hmm. it's going to help everybody. And I think from a racial perspective, we've seen that as well. Folks who are disenfranchised the most, um, if you're solving for their needs, everyone else is going to benefit as well. So I think that's the larger connection point. We all definitely have, biases mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that informs how we move through the world right. how we move through spaces talk to me about unconscious bias yeah so you know if you have a brain you have bias right mm-hmm. um we're all born into it and it's honestly how the brain works there's different like the frontal and um, temporal lobes in your brain produce stereotypes. And so we actively have to, um, you know, concern ourselves with how do we kind of work around those biases and how do we better inform ourselves um, to react and to act differently. And so I think first and foremost, just understanding that you have bias is the first step. Um, secondly, it's it's doing a little bit more exploration and digging into what those biases might be. Um, Harvard has a great way of actually testing that with the Harvard implicit association test Mm -hmm. where you can test things like gender bias or racial bias, um, et cetera. But the awareness is, is first and foremost, and then actively working against what those biases look like. A lot of conversations that I have with people too are, are questioning and auditing the own things, the, the very things that you take in. So your media, what media are you are you consuming? And does it showcase different people in a different way, right? That would maybe reinforce those biases that you might already have pre-existing. What books are you reading? Mm-hmm. Um, what what are you consuming? And and are there differences in what that might look like? And and then actively going and looking for things that might not be in agreement with what you already might believe is, is is a way to also you know attack some of those biases as well. It's fantastic. I think it's important really for people to understand. And there's a lot of self reflection mm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. really has to go into this. Akua, thank you so so much for joining us today. It's been a fascinating conversation, and we hope to have you back on again uh, to further the conversation. We want to hear from you. You can use the Talk to Us feature on the WBFO app and leave us a message. Or send comments and questions via Twitter or email. Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next, a program that unapologetically confronts the reasons why the May 14th mass shooting occurred. We'll be back tomorrow 
That's our promise to you here at WBFO, WBFO HD1, Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.